Welcome to the Brand Design Masters podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build the skills you need to design bulletproof brands for yourself, your business, and for the clients and customers you serve. And now, here's Philip. Before we jump into the show, I want to let you know that my signature course, Brand Strategy 101, is now open for enrollment inside the Brand Design Masters Academy. This is a foundational course for creative professionals and entrepreneurs who want to get started with brand strategy so you can sell bigger projects, increase your fees for the creative work you already do, and get paid for the thinking and advice you've probably been given away for free. The moment you enroll, you get immediate lifetime access to seven modules of training with over eight hours of instructional videos, 25 lessons in all, plus 24 downloadable strategy tools and conversation guides. In Brand Strategy 101, I've taken complex strategic methodologies used by the world's most respected global branding agencies and crafted them into a deceptively simple turnkey process and toolkit that you can use with your clients, even if you've never done brand strategy before or don't know where to start. Brand Strategy 101 draws from my 25 years of experience working with clients ranging from entrepreneurs to small to medium-sized businesses all the way up to the Fortune 100. So if you're ready to up your game and bulletproof your career and protect your business from the downward pricing pressure of sites like Fiverr and Upwork, then Brand Strategy 101 is the place to start. Just go to philipvandusen.com BS101 and enroll in Brand Strategy 101 today. Again, just go to philipvandusen.com BS101 and enroll now. Hey everybody, it's Phil. Welcome back to the Brand Design Masters podcast. Today, I'm super excited because I am here with Richard Moore, and Richard is a startup consultant, investor, and sales coach. He's also the founder of LinkedIn Client Accelerator, a program that helps individuals and businesses collectively generate millions in revenue by leveraging the power of LinkedIn. He's also recently launched the Entrepreneur Business Live event series in cities like London, New York, San Francisco, Toronto, Melbourne, Barcelona, and others. The series has been rewriting the way networking events are built and able to do good. He's also been featured in Forbes, Huffington Post, Inc., Thrive, Humans 2.0 Podcast, and others. And with that, I'd like to welcome Richard to the show. Philip, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All I can say is I have some work to do with improving my glasses. I mean, yours are epic. And the first thing I need to do after this is source a new pair. But in the meantime, let's talk about the intro. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being here. Absolutely. Before we jump into it, I'm going to tell you about my glasses because a lot of people ask about my glasses. They are magnetic and you buy the little covers and patterns and colors and everything. And it's one pair of glasses, but you can change the face of them. How awesome is that? I'm just being sold. That's fantastic. I know. It sells you as soon as you see it, especially if you're creative. You're just like, oh my God, I have to have those. So clever. Okay. So why don't you start off by telling us just something personal about yourself, let people get to know you better. Um, Okay. I'm someone who's gone through quite a linear upbringing. You know, it was, I'm, a, I'm in my 40s now and I was, I was given this whole spiel from my, in the 80s of, you know, success looks like doing well at school, going to university, and then some kind of job in London, you know, in a suit, doesn't matter what it is, but that's success, Rich, and that's what you should do. So that's the approach I took. And, you know, I did well enough. I I went to uni and I studied history and things like that and landed a job 20 years ago now selling internet marketing. And it was a fascinating world when people are like, oh, come on, the internet, are you kidding me? When they're rather spending money in magazines. So I've been a child of the new internet as a young adult selling internet. And it was really wonderful working with that as it's grown in its iterations. But then about 10 years into the city, I had a big decision. It was led by personal change in my life that it was time to change direction. You know, I was doing horribly uh, long weeks in the office. And whilst I was doing well on face value, it, it was something about that was like, it's not right, because I've always had this itch that I wanted to do something of my own. And so I actually pivoted out. And so I did consulting and I was always very good at selling. And my ultimate, ultimately, my last job was as a sales director. So I helped people convert and sell without being irritating, you know, and then it evolved to, well, content attracts people. So what does that look like? And then here we are now, 2022, with attraction through LinkedIn and elegant conversion and the right kind of words and psychology and enjoying that kind of space. 
when I left the city, I was starting on that journey and already almost 10 years have passed. So it's been an interesting journey. So much fills the gaps from being a taekwondo instructor to having children and, and all the rest in between. But that's kind of the path it's been. It's, there was that real important moment when I said, you know what? I can't keep complaining about not having the environment or life I'm after when I can go and change it. So get on and change it. And, and it, I'm really pleased that I, I went through that moment, that moment being about a year, of course, of transition. Yeah. So you left corporate and did you go on on your own? Was it immediately to your own or? Yeah. I'm a big fan of brutality. I like things being raw. I don't like things being hard. And so it was cold turkey. It was some very close people said I was being irresponsible because I just had my first daughter born. And my wife, of course, who's a lawyer, was no longer working. So it's like, well, that's irresponsible. You've got a mortgage, you've got mouths to feed. And it's like, I back myself. And that's the point, you know, because if I give myself safety nets, I won't go for it as much as I could. So huge amount of leaning into the work. And yeah, I went, I went fully cold turkey. But interestingly, the first two clients I had were the previous two companies I worked at. It's often the case, I think, for people that those you've just left will often have you back. So that was a nice kind of transition uh, work to get into. So when you first started off on your own, obviously that's a huge learning curve. I know I kind of did the same irresponsible thing myself. And you know that first year is like incredible sponge, right? I got to understand what it's like to drive my own business and not yes. respond to the orders and the dictates of others, right? And so I've seen that you also do a lot of events. You also do a lot of speaking to groups. What was the first kind of product or service you were offering? And then how did that scale after that over time? Did you start speaking right away or what did that look like? Really good question. So I was doing consulting and training in the city. So I'd show up in an office and I would teach them how to sell without dropping the ball. And that was quite lucrative. So that was the first real year whilst I was also dabbling in this Taekwondo Academy and teaching kids how to kick things. But really it was 2014 that I said to myself, do you know what, let's try going, because th this is universal stuff I'm teaching. Why don't I help startups? Because they're accessible, because the business owner, I was always taught, you know, reach out to the top person who makes the decision. The business owner is right there and easy to come by. So at the time, Facebook made sense. And so I went into that. Now, I'd always been, whilst quite the introvert, actually, I was very shy individual uh, in my youth. I had taught myself to kind of be more outgoing in how I come across uh, because, of course, I'd, I'd had to sell and cold call and things like that. So what was interesting was that from 2014, I could record video and put that on Facebook and that could take me places. And it was 2015, I remember I started a Facebook group and started doing live streaming there. And then pr I think it was 2016, I started doing live streaming on Facebook. And that was my one of my first products to kind of answer questions. So I had a number of little courses here and there and I was doing coaching one-on-one. -on -one. One of my first products or, or kind of services to the community, if you like, or things I did was called Startup Business Q&A. And every single week I showed up on a Monday at 1 p.m. UK time and answered questions. And I did that for 260 consecutive weeks. So I did five years of this. Wow. And it was interesting because I'm not a lazy man, but I like being efficient, Philip. So what I was trying to do was say to myself, what does pillar content look like? And so what I would do was I would have a Monday, one hour where I answer questions from people. And then I had a team of people who would take that and break it down into small videos or take some of the quotes and turn that into posts and so on. So I was really doing one piece of content to like propagate all over the place. And, you know, then Instagram fed in and so on as well. So that was how I really got more into content. And, and there's more we can talk about in a sec. But that then led to people saying, you know, would you like to speak at an event? And, and I remember, I think it was 2017 was probably my first event I spoke at in the city. And it was a LinkedIn-based get-together as people who were on LinkedIn. And I just heard about it. I wasn't doing much on LinkedIn at all. And this person was talking about LinkedIn. I remember going up to him after what were three fairly awful speakers that I went up to the organizer and was like, I have to speak at your next event. I'm like, with all respect, like I can do a better job. And I, and I was really bullish, I know, but I'm like, I'm much better at this and I've never even spoken much. And so it was like, okay, come on then, let's have you in the next event. So that was exhilarating and I knew I needed to do it. But what I was doing at that time, I remember, was a little bit of like waiting for people to select me. And it was a, one of my really big lessons, I remember, 
was if I wait for people to ask me to speak at their events, I might wait a long time. So build your own event then. That's how in 2018, I built Entrepreneur Business Live. And that's one of my favorite things I built because Entrepreneur Business Live is networking events. It's two hours with three speakers. And then that's over the first hour. The second hour is simply the networking part. And every single cent that is raised, not after profit, but every single cent in the first place, all turnover goes directly to local charities. So I've run now 27 of these. The latest one was in May. We had it in LA, uh, in West Hollywood. And it was like, it's nice to meet people. It's nice to travel a bit and see people you're speaking to online. But it's even nicer to know that whilst you're doing that, you're putting money into local charities. And people are like, oh, isn't that a bit twee? Are you just like this cursory amount of money giving it? I'm like, no, it, they're front and center. So we start these events with these people showing up and saying, we're the charity. Thank you. This is what your money raised has done for us today. And so it's nice to do that. But to answer your point, like that's how I developed my speaking was like the brutality of forcing myself to not just speak, but host an event. And it's been really enjoyable running that. Number one question. When you say I went into the city, which city are we talking about? Oh, sorry. That was in London, the original chat. So I was just, I was very UK. And, and what happened was in August 2018, I had the first Entrepreneur Business Live, so my event in London. And after that event, I remember I was like, everyone's going to think I'm Richard Moore with the cute little event in London unless I go big. If you go big, people pay attention, right? So I remember after the first event, I announced we're going to be going global as well. And, I've, you know, there's a lot of people going, oh, isn't that nice? I'm sure you won't, but good for you. And I booked a ticket to New York uh, for the January 2019, 24th of January, and announced it. And I'm like, well, we better have an event then. <laughs> so uh, what's really nice is I was, I was kind of practicing, if you like, because each month I did a London event. And then when I picked up the global ones, so the following year for, with New York, every single month I was actually at the peak doing two events a month, so a London one and somewhere else. How we got people to attend that's the magic of LinkedIn. The most generous algorithm, probably second to TikTok, I think, but the most generous algorithm right there. And simply by being attractive to people, or better word, being stimulating to people and having an audience that's in orbit around you. I look at content as gravity and the audience is in orbit around you because they want to see more, allowed me to say, hey, I'll be in Barcelona on this date. We're going to have these three speakers and we'll speak on this theme for entrepreneurs. You know, it might be on design or video. I think it was video and LinkedIn, which was the uh, New York one. And we're raising money for charity and you'd get 40 people showing up. And then because the methodology isn't post and run, it's post and then spend time with the individuals that are showing up, you know, being present that people were like, oh, wow, that'd be so nice to meet you. And so it continued. And it was so many upsides to doing an event like that, because obviously you feel, feel very good about the money raised. And obviously it's nice to develop yourself in speaking. But at the very least, it's just good to connect properly with someone you meet online. Otherwise, it's always, you know, a head with no legs that you're used to speaking to on, yeah. on, a, on a live stream as opposed to meeting them in real life. And that was quite special. So let's talk about LinkedIn a little bit. I have a yeah. bunch of questions about LinkedIn. I have some questions about Taekwondo too, but we'll get back we to that. We can do that too. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, a lot of people who listen to the show are creative professionals or entrepreneurs building personal brands. And yeah. LinkedIn to many creatives and entrepreneurs really is a bit of a black box. They know how to build a profile. Many people think of it as kind of a resume on steroids. They may post some curated content. But they're kind of lost in terms of exactly how to utilize it in order to attract client prospects like Gravity, as you said, and then how to reach out to them initially. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I get, you know, probably 20 connection requests a day and five of them, people are pitching me in the connection request, which is like, I don't even want to accept it if you're going to start a relationship that way. And I was like, oh. The prevailing sentiment is that that's how you do business. And, and we uh, <sighs> think what we all know is that that's not the way to do it. So you're a LinkedIn expert. So what's the way to go about it on LinkedIn? What's interesting is that the way I've described this is as a sleeping giant, because we all joined LinkedIn, what, 10, 15 years ago, whatever. And yes, the general, if we look at it this way, culturally, 
we look at you know linkedin as very different to instagram or, or facebook the more pure social platforms we can call them whereas with linkedin yeah it's like that's where your resume goes and the only people active on it are recruiters being sharks right however what happened was when microsoft bought them about five years ago whenever it was they flicked the switch on content and so what's happened is if we go back six seven years you could write a status or you could produce an article and what happened was back in the 2017 linkedin said we're now allowing video to be uploaded and i remember i called it when i was on facebook i was like something's going on over there and I just showed up a bit. So what was interesting was I started posting content with frequency, so daily pretty much, from January 2018. And what's been fascinating is they've rolled out these new products. So carousels, they tried LinkedIn Stories last year, for instance, it died, not enough people used it. But all of these things, live streaming and so on as well. And what's interesting is that the platform essentially is akin to your classic social one. But here's the upside, and this will give you the answer, but with background, the upside is that this isn't up to date, about a year old, but the stat about a year ago was in a week, there are 9 billion, with a B, impressions of content on LinkedIn. However, there are 3 million, with an M, pieces of content made in a week. So on Instagram or Facebook, the thing you do is you make content. On LinkedIn, typically, the thing you don't do is make content. So if you can imagine everyone is there, and this is why I say a lot to creatives as well, everyone who you'll ever do a deal with is there. And the best way to visualize this, imagine a packed auditorium, imagine a packed theater and nobody on stage, because relatively speaking, it's silent there. That's the opportunity. It will go away, and already it has. In the last few years, the content creators are flooding in. You know, we've got the selfie videos, we've got the crying on camera, we've got all of the pictures of people's lunch and so on. And as I haven't seen any crying on camera yet. I got to get into your feed, man, because I would love to see that on LinkedIn. <laughs> Famously, last week, last week, there was a famous viral post of a crying CEO because he was letting go of a number of, of employees. And he went viral for all the wrong reasons because he posted a selfie of him crying. And it's like, that just says, you know, there's the classic saying, which is marketers ruin everything. <laughs> but what you have there is an example of what can happen. But to answer your question directly, when you recognize that you have that level of attention, and remember of the 3 million odd pieces of content, most of it's trash. Most of it is a company saying, because they don't know what they're doing, saying, Hey everyone, here's our latest white paper. Reason why people look at content is for a break. They're not looking for white papers, they're looking for stimulation. So funny, sexy, informative, perhaps in different ways. And so when you produce content, typically that's visually stimulating, that grabs people, that hooks them, that pattern interrupts. Now we're suddenly in a really exciting place. So it's the designers, it's the creatives, it's the brand related people who crush it on LinkedIn. It's so funny because they say to me, well, I'm doing fine on Instagram, but what's this strange foreign world of LinkedIn? And the answer is it's precisely the same because it's still humans because before people are their job title, they're human and they still have the same interest. So my friend, for instance, in Italy uh, called Alina, she's an oil painter. And unlike 99% of the content on LinkedIn, she posts pictures of her oil paintings each day. And at the end of each day, she edits the text and writes the word sold because people love content that's stimulating and beautiful. And so it's like, wow, what a gorgeous picture. How can I buy this, please? And when you combine that with a generous organic algorithm, you really can't miss. So the answer here is, well, what stuff do you use elsewhere in an advert, in your creative world, on Instagram? What are you doing with all these different pieces of art for your clients? Why aren't you sharing that on LinkedIn? And I remember doing a talk in 2019 in Milan called at Digital Design Days. So everyone there was an artist or designer. We had media monks, there was Buck. There was like head, I think it was head of digital or something for Hewlett Packard was on before me. And then I'm this guy who has no design background and everyone's like, this dude's slides suck. It was so bad. <laughs> I was like, I just want you guys to hear me. I'm not from your world, but I'm coming with this message, which is you all have the thing that people like me crave, which is an ability to 
make people go, wow, what's that over there? And when you can do that and place it on the platform that contextually is business related, you can't miss, which is why so many people are winning on LinkedIn now who have made that change. But the answer to what do you do, and we can go into tactics soon, which would be good fun. But the answer is, well, you treat them the way you would want to treat them elsewhere or the way you want to be treated. So you don't spam them. You attract. When they look at your content and give you a like or write a comment, then your response should be, hey, Philip, thanks so much for liking the post. I appreciate it. How are you in the DMs? And you do that five times a day. And one's like, guy, it was a great post. Thanks so much. What about it did you like? Well, I love how you said that thing because that's what we're looking for at the moment. And then we're off. And there's a number of other scenarios as well, but it's a people sport. It's a human sport. And the magic, as always, on any platform is within those messages with the individual. So we caught the crowd first. Then I would rather use a better descriptor than this, but you pick them off from the herd. And then, but then you speak to them as you would on Instagram or anywhere else, for instance. So it's a very exciting time. In time, people will get it and it will be flooded. And it's already very different to say two, three years ago. But if you start now, I feel I should be on commission from LinkedIn. But if you start now, then you're still early. These are the early years of it because at the moment people look perplexed, if at all, at LinkedIn as a channel for their business. It couldn't be more ironic. And it also couldn't be more advantageous. I mean, because mm. it's very rare that you find yourself on the apex turning point watershed moment of yes. a social platform. Yes. And that's where we are as creatives or entrepreneurs with LinkedIn is because yeah. we are on that watershed moment where, yes. as you said, the content creators are rushing in. People are starting to figure out how to use it. One of the things that you said I want to dig into a little bit is when you're talking about, you know, content is the gravity. These people are revolving around it. They're yeah. engaging, they're commenting or liking. So are you saying that you use a post, any post curated, whatever it is, and then you pay really close attention to who comments or likes it, you register their names or profiles and you ping them individually that you only really start with the satellites you have gathered around your gravity of content, right? You don't start by like doing a search for, you know, heads of creative and all these top agencies. And then you're, you know, you paying yeah. them and sending them a thing or a free audit of their website or something like that. <laughs> That's not yes. the way to go about it because I've been counseling people to do that sort of thing. And so if that is not the way to do it, I am going to stand corrected here. And I'd really love to hear your point of view on it. Right. So it's a really important question. There's two actual angles of attack here, especially if we're fairly new to this. So I have a saying, which is you need to go get your audience. So sure attraction, but what helps is to begin with some outreach. And that outreach reach should be connecting with no agenda other than because you find that person stimulating and they're in your space. Connecting with, the way to look at it is this, imagine connecting with a pitch was illegal, because it should be, because it's pointless. And if you get a deal every 200 attempts, that's just confirmation bias. It's not actually selling. It's you happen to be lucky, like winning the lottery, right? So what we need to do is say, yes, do you know what? I've identified 14 creative directors. Why not connect with them? Because here's the thing. It's a longer play, but this is the approach for that prong. Then I'll cover content. If I connect with someone with a wholesome message based on being curious and what they're doing, you know, showing not overly being a fanboy, but showing any level of interest, because why wouldn't I there in my space rather than I want to do business, but more than, hey, LinkedIn suggested we should connect. I mean, you could comment on, say, a post that they did or an article they post and say, hey, I read your article on blah, blah, blah. This piece of it really stuck out to me. I'd love to hear you expand on that because I yeah. was thinking about blah. It's completely more you're starting a conversation, essentially. Yeah, because the thing is, you're not going, oh, I think you're great. What you're doing is you're saying you're commenting on their baby. That's the thing they spend time right. and love a uh, focus right. on. So they're going to respond. But here's the beauty of it. When you do that in a connection note, mm. so not on the app, but on the okay. website, because it won't work otherwise. If you do it on the website, you hit connect. It offers to send a note, which is a maximum of 300 characters. That's good. It's concise. You hit yes and write a message not an in-mail, a connection note, you end up, if they accept, with LinkedIn, 
and it's machines saying, okay, there's a conversation happening here. They've decided to connect and they're back and forth. Guess whose content that person sees next? When they log on the next day, LinkedIn says, well, maybe Philip wants to see Richard's content too. And then of course it's like, oh, that's the guy I was messaging with yesterday. You seem nice enough. We had a joke about glasses. Then you check out the post. And if you write something, guess whose post you see tomorrow? And that's the algorithm just like anywhere else. So hooking, you know, this idea of like hooking like a fish starts miles out and it's a very long play. But the idea is that if we can connect in a elegant way like this with people who might be interested, the beauty of it is firstly, these are now first connections who may see our content. And always, if our content's stimulating enough, they'll then show an interest enough to stay in orbit around us. If they move on, it's our fault because we weren't interesting enough. But what's wonderful is that there's no longer such a thing as an individual because every person has a network. And what happens as well is that LinkedIn says to itself, well, hang on, Philip just wrote a comment there or dwelled on it because it measures dwell time or liked that. Perhaps some of his network would like to see it too. So it will send to a single digit percentage or tiny amount of your network. Maybe what like, so it will say things like, Philip uh, Van Dusen commented on this. So I'm not connected to that personal network, but now I'm through this beautiful kind of digital osmosis, I'm, I'm gaining some of your followers. Every person has a network and I can tap into those as well. So that is a very important thing to do. And given it's our professional network, we should make time every day to do five of them. Five is nothing, but in a month, that's huge. That's a hundred very focused people. The other side is content and that's that attraction because if it's stimulating enough, LinkedIn will send it to the second and third connections anyway. This episode of the Brand Design Masters podcast is sponsored by Bring Your Own Laptop. BYOL.me is a top tier Adobe application video training website featuring Daniel Scott. Daniel's a certified Adobe trainer and keynote speaker at the Adobe Max conference every year. At byol.me forward slash Philip, you can learn everything from the basics to advanced aspects of your favorite Adobe applications, all for one low monthly subscription fee. Visit byol.me forward slash Philip, P-H-I-L-I-P. Again, that's byol.me forward slash Philip. I just know you're going to be amazed at Bring Your Own Laptops courses. How do you feel about tagging other people in your comments? So say you're commenting on an article and you think that so-and-so or these three people might like it. It's telling them in a weird way or a nice way that you're thinking of them. And number two, you're offering them some free value without actually having to post anything. How do you feel about that sort of kind of side connection way of going about it? Yeah. And, and, you know, this is, this is classic sales. It's all about how you say it. You know, it's what the sentiment is. I've got a friend on LinkedIn who says, you know, comments are content too. And so we need to remember that when we write a comment, other people are going to see that. And the little hack here, by the way, is if it's a prominent person posting, we want to comment early because we get the lion's share of the views of comments. Then it, it rises to the top. So that's valuable to do. So I get people out all the time saying, Richard, when do you post so that I can show up and write an early <laughs> comment? It's kind of funny. Um, but the point is that if we, if we write a comment there, the thing to ask ourselves is how do we phrase it in a way that doesn't look like we're just trying to get, you know, everything for us. So often it can be things like, hey, Philip, I know that this is something you did or Here, this is Old Navy, by the way, and I know you used to work with them or, or isn't this interesting because it's similar to the campaign Pepsi did. I know tag Philip would have something to say about this. LinkedIn loves to reward conversation and it's much like anywhere else. Conversation is king and it is like the, the big thing that boosts your SSI score, which is kind of your current rating of how LinkedIn views you and has lots of lovely knock-on effects. But what's really great is the more you are present in the community, the more you things get things coming back to you. So this world, what it looks like, isn't just posting great content. It's posting great content and then spent getting down from your throne and spending time with the audience as well. And that might be through comments. A really nice technique, by the way, is if I've connected with a few new people this week, 
when I've done a post, I will write a comment and say, hi, new connections. I'd love for you to share with the audience what you think about this. So firstly, I'm doing something that no one does, which is welcoming them, not just into my network yeah. uh, privately, but publicly. And then also putting them on the pedestal and saying, all the people that are going to check this out, they're going to see you. What's your opinion? Share it as an expert. Rather than do it for me, it's do it for the audience. And when you position yourself as like the, you know, the conductor, the host, the orchestrator, it goes down really well. And I, I just, every week I get messages from people saying, that's a really nice way to welcome into your network. I really appreciate that. And that sentiment naturally makes them want to write, oh, well, thanks so much. Lovely to be connected. And hey, everyone, here's what I think. So that's a clever way to tag people. And like I say, it's how you do it and how, how we make that person feel is therefore going to affect the outcome we get. The key part is, is this person going to be stimulated to write something? And if you and I hit it off and we riff in the DMs for a bit, I'm fairly sure that if I tag you in a post or on a comment, you're likely to respond. If we don't hit it off, there's no point tagging you because you probably won't. So I'm always going to be careful and strategic here, like tag people who are A, probably online, look out for the little green dot next to their profile. I actually have a separate window open. I do a search who's online right now, because I can't have you commenting in 14 hours. I need the comments now. Okay. That makes a difference to the algorithm. But then also who likes me? Who thinks fondly of me? Who's awake? <laughs> you know, get the time zone right. And just tag a few people. The more you spam, there's a whole thing I could go into. But the more, the more people you tag, the more problems you're going to have. Three to five is sufficient, but pick them wisely. And it's huge upside. Do you tag them in the post itself? So you can, but that needs to be very wholesome. In my opinion, the best way to do that is here's five people who really know what they're doing and here is why. And then you tag them and chat them out. And that's a really nice sentiment. But a better thing to do is do your post, be a profound thought leader and do your mic drop moment. But then in the comments underneath, which First is comment. like, yeah, it's the personal message. It's a footnote. And it's for those who really dig what you say. They really want to indulge further. They're going to read the comments. and. That's where real magic happens because people feel really fond of those kind of comments when they're shouted out. So don't just spam names because all you're saying is, I just want you to comment to help my post. Far better to say why you're tagging that person. Philip, I know, knows this really well. You're the expert here. What, what would you add kind of thing is far more wholesome. I'm going to backtrack just a little bit. When you're reaching out with that connection request, you're making a conversational kind of foray. You send someone a DM and you make a very you know, hi, how you doing sort of comment. You don't hear anything. Yeah. What for your cold, but human outreach on yeah. a cold, but elegant outreach on DMs, how many do you do before you admit defeat? Yeah, it's a really good point. And, and some people like they identify someone who looks really great and they cannot leave them alone. Just remember 830 million people like go get someone else. The thing about LinkedIn is only half of the users actually use it every month. So chances are high that people aren't going to see you. So volume to a degree matters. And I just want to be really clear here, other than identifying someone I think is wonderful and should be in my network and knowing that if I send a good connection note that in time, they may warm to me through my content and that may lead to something exciting. Other than that, I actually will only be sending messages each day, maybe eight in a, an assigned time, you know, 10, 15 till 11 o'clock, I'll send eight messages. And they will be these connection notes to people I've found who haven't just commented or, or liked my post, but it's the lurkers because they tend to be the decision makers. The people who cannot help themselves writing comments tend to be other content creators or peers or friends or supporters. But the second degree connections, the ones who aren't directly connected to you, who found it stimulating, but are still in the old world of don't interact. They're still human. And so they have the same urges human has, which is to rubberneck and be a voyeur. They're like, who is this person? And that's why it's wonderful. Because if you write something stimulating, they hit your profile. And the nice thing about LinkedIn is it shows you who's looked at your profile. So the gold isn't just in the likes and comments, because it's hilarious for me. People say, oh, I don't get any leads. I get all these post engagement, don't get any leads. 
And what they're doing is they're sitting there staring at their inbox. Like, where are all the deals? Meanwhile, quietly, these decision makers are looking at the profile. That's all it is. They look at the profile and that's it. If I know one thing from probably a couple of thousand deals over the years, it's that a senior decision maker who's going to spend loads of money isn't sitting on LinkedIn writing comments on posts all day. If they're there at all, they're like, that was interesting. Who's this guy? Oh, interesting. Okay, moves on. But will you capture that data? So first thing in the morning, go check. Maybe they've followed you, but ideally, uh, even if, if they've just looked at your profile, you now have that. And there's a tab right there on your profile. When you click on who's viewed my profile, that says interesting people, which is an interesting thing in itself. But LinkedIn has decided these are senior people and might be of interest to you. So then you can hit them up with a connection note and simply say, Philip, I saw you looked at my profile earlier. How are you? By the way, did anything catch your eye? Like that's a really reasonable thing to say. The beauty of this is that technically that's not cold outreach because they made the first step. They came to us first. The beauty of it is we have commonality. We have something to talk about. So they're going to want to respond because it's kind of like you caught them out and like, so explain yourself, but in a really nice way. I've had that happen a number of times and there is a level of like skeeviness about it. You know, it's like, oh man, algorithm is freaking watching me again. You know, it makes you feel really observed, like under the microscope. We, we have to hedge. You have to hedge that not everyone's read 1984 and you tend to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I have, I have like a million questions. We may have to do a second episode because I am like really <laughs> soaking it up here. I'm trying to keep it tight. It's really hard though. I know it really is hard. So this is a super tactical question. When you are doing this sort of activity on LinkedIn, how do you keep track of all this stuff? Like, how do you keep track of the people that you're DMing? How do you keep track of the comments that you have put out there or the people that you should be connecting with? Or when you look at who's looked at your profile every morning, the people you've contacted or not, how do you yes. literally like tactically keep track of that? Do you do it on a Google sheet? Do you like have a, an amazing brain? Like, how do you do it, Richard? Here's the good news. You're speaking to an ex-sales director. So this is my sweet spot. CRM? CRM program? You can use a CRM if you wish. However, I'm a little bit old school. And so I use Google Sheets because like, why add glamour? I just need the names. But here's the thing. Like, when you do this properly, when you're showing up daily, bringing great content and getting this audience warmed over time, because this isn't a campaign. This is what you do now. And what happens is, it doesn't matter if you drop the ball and miss a few because the next day there'll be more. And if you miss someone who was really interested in you, they'll show up again. I've had it before. I've had someone, I think it was like, like I've, I keep trying to get in touch with you, Richard. I'm not getting anything. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'll get around to you eventually. I do have that kind of brain where I remember, but I also, I have a tab. It's a Google sheet and it's like monthly tabs. So I start a new one each month and I put their name in when it's progressed to a certain level. So I basically don't sweat it. I do this basic engagement knowing that there are two outcomes and both are favorable. One, we don't go anywhere, but we now have a great connection and probably that person will see my content and something good may happen in the future. If not, if they look at my content, I'll get algorithmically some of their network to look at it too. So happy days. Or two, something exciting may happen, like it may progress. So my spreadsheet simply is a list of names of people who have, yes, accepted the connection note and yes, responded, but then who have gone down a number of steps of this DM process because there's a particular cadence to it and have they responded in a particular way? Okay, that one feels interesting. And then of course the columns are, have we organized a phone call? Have they replied? Have we got it booked? Does it look good? Is it a deal? Have we done this? Have we done that? So I add them in if they elevate themselves to that point. And that's good enough for me. What I don't want to do is spend too long mucking about with now setting up new profiles in CRMs and things. There's a lot of value in spreadsheet. Just write it in. And like, I don't need ceremony. I just need the name. So I just keep things nice and simple. Pen and paper works, but sometimes you lose that, you know? So one other tactical thing I want to ask you about, which is I joined LinkedIn, I don't know, like 20 years ago or something. And I'm yeah. on a legacy plan where I'm paying like $15 a month for premium or something crazy. And I only have like portions of the functionality because they wouldn't give me more because I'm not paying. Mm. It's, it's like so weird. It's slightly dried up over time, isn't it? Yeah. I have a paid raisin profile. And he's so... <laughs> 
So what level of premium or paid or should you pay for LinkedIn in order to get just the functionality that's optimal enough to really kind of use what's important? It's a great question. And everyone seems to think I'd be on Sales Navigator, but I'm actually not. So those who don't know need to be aware that LinkedIn makes money in two ways compared to, say, Facebook. Facebook makes its money through ad revenue. LinkedIn has that channel, but the other main channel is subscriptions. So there is a light free version and it's very good. I mean, it covers most things. If you're a candidate looking for a job, then you'll be all right. And you can get by no problem. But then the three main packages to be aware of, and there are variations of them, is Recruiter, Sales Navigator, or Business Premium. Now, the thing about Recruiter is it's designed for high volume of profile views because you're trying to build a list of as many people as possible for your job. That serves them. And if you are going to look at a volume of profiles that you want to engage with and send messages to, you need to use that. Otherwise, you just get thrown in LinkedIn jail for overuse. Or there's Sales Navigator. Now, I've used Sales Navigator at a corporate level and helped businesses on board with that. The thing about Sales Navigator is it allows a great amount of granularity when searching for people, and it allows you to build great lists. Because believe it or not, despite the fact the world's moved on, businesses still love to build a list and have a team spam the phones all day long to work through that list so that or, or send email shots and so on. So the answer to your question is actually none of those is business premium. The good news is it's cheaper, but in the main, especially for creatives, if you're looking for high ticket, low volume, so not too many projects where you're going to be paid four, five, six figures to do a thing, you don't need to find 300 leads a week. You don't need to build a big list. Sure, build an email list. Sure, make a newsletter. But what you need is four really good leads each day or really good connections you can add. You need a level of granularity that's good enough that you can see who the people are. That's the package I use. And my business has been an absolute rocket. And that's business premium. Business premium, yeah. And it's like $50. It's absolutely the right one for this because you don't need the volume or granularity that the others produce. Got it. LinkedIn is a major platform, obviously, for you. You have products and lecture around it and massive power user. In building your own brand, how did you go about the different phases of your ecosystem? Did you start with just social profiles? Did you start with a website? Did you start with landing pages? How did you build the various components of your personal brand and how do you utilize those now? So interesting seeing how that's evolved. Just to kind of reiterate, my background was sales and brute force and ignorance sales. It was like, you know, there's nothing pretty about it. It was dial and get people to say yes and spend money. So there was no design or concept of brand at all. And what it was was this very tight niche. That's why I got right inadvertently was focused on people who had a frustration of not being able to get business. And the nice thing about startups and entrepreneurs is there's all the energy and all the ambition and all of the good feeling and optimism, but often it's around talent uh, that is focused on a product or a service, but not how to convert it. So what I did was I focused firstly on just the manual, finding people in a group or in a post, speaking to them in DMs and grooming is maybe a bad word, but like grooming or charming them to a phone call. No, here's a proposal. No, here's a website or look at my webinar or get this download. It was one-on-one -on -one human stuff because one-on-one -on -one is the most effective way to get deals. It is not the most efficient way, but it's the most effective way because it's the human they're buying, obviously. That evolved. We moved through 2015 or so on. It evolved to having some sense that if I had some consistency in how I came across then that might help. So the images started, the, the, the selfie photo or whatever, it started to evolve. The first step up where people started noticing that I was building something of a brand and an image was when I started doing these events in 2018, actually. So it was reasonably recent. And at every single event I ran, I would have a professional photographer and that person would take a bunch of good photos and then I would use them. So people were like, oh, it's starting to look really slick now. Then I got a person to build my videos and he started adding a logo and adding some like different colors and things. And then I was like, well, 
I seem to gravitate to the color orange because of the hair. So like orange has been like this color that's been in the background all the time. And then if you move through the years, what's happened is I've started hiring talent in the creative space to be in the team. So I now have epic people who build my carousels and do these animated GIFs, produce all of the reels and stuff like that for me. And I'm the raw IP and they take it from there. And all I can say is every time I've added talent to the way I appear and come across and people who have helped me with like the, the messaging and things like that, like how, how I bring consistency, the volume of people saying, wow, you're another level has really been a step change. So the big thing for me was when I hired a spectacular designer in New York to do my carousels. And I remember saying to him a couple of years ago, your brief is to blow minds. All I want you to do is blow minds. You are the creative talent. I'm not going to hold your hand. I actually think that's borderline disrespectful. I want to clone you as like my clients for the next... <laughs> No, but I know everyone, everyone always says, this is how it should be. And every, all the creatives I speak to, they're it like, is. why aren't clients like this? If I tell you how I want you to do it, then I'm saying that I'm the expert. I'm certainly not. And I also, I want to get on with other stuff. Like the guy who's building my website right now, who's doing the UX for it. I'm like, you're the expert. Go do it. Like, go crazy. If you think it's cool, so bring it. And uh, it's been really good fun because these people can get on with their work and they are unbridled. And we've obviously got some guidelines now, like here are the three colors Richard uses. Uh, here's the font he uses and the typography and that. And here's his vibe in general. But otherwise, like, and, and I literally say, like, you know what to do? Just go find content and turn it into carousels or images. And it's a really nice kind of relationship because I let them go do the thing they want to do, which is be creative. And I wake up, you know, on like a Tuesday morning and I've got new assets in my inbox. So I think that answers your question. Like that the thing that really has made the difference has been hiring talent. And I cannot overstate the power. I'm not just saying it because of the podcast, but I can't overstate the power of bringing people who know what they're doing. I didn't go on a course on how to build my brand. I didn't go on a course on design. I just brought people in who know, because I'm good at conversion and people, I want them to do it instead. And, and that's been a, a wonderful way to kind of get this flywheel spinning and get me more attention. It really makes a difference. And again, we're back to this point of creatives are in such a winning position because they've got the hard bit usually done, which is the talent for what makes people think, wow, what's this over here? Richard, it has been so awesome talking to you today. And I am definitely going to have you on the podcast again because we have only scratched the surface and I didn't even get to Taekwondo, man. <laughs> and this has been totally awesome. So I have a series of questions, 10 rapid fire questions. All I right. ask all my guests at the end of the podcast and then one big monolithic question at the end. Okay, ready to go? Yeah, let's go. Just one or two word answers. What's your spirit animal? A fox. Morning person or night person? Billion percent a morning person. Beach or mountains? Beach. I'm a coast guy. Yeah. Dog person or cat person? Dog if I have to. What's your secret talent most people don't know you can do? Let's keep it professional. My secret talent is that I am able to genuinely get what people's state is emotionally when they're a cold second connection. I'm very good at putting myself in their shoes. I can see from their perspective how they receive my message. That was more than a few words, but that, that, there you go. That's my superpower. Favorite song of all time? It has to be Unforgettable. The one with Nat King Cole and Natalie Cole. That was my wedding dance with my wife, and it's just got great moments to it. Awesome. Favorite place in the world? A tiny little town called Felixstowe on the Suffolk coast. Stony beach, not pretty, but so many epic memories. And I go there probably every couple of months, and it's grounding. My mother's buried there. I grew up there, had my first kiss there, met my wife there. It's so many wonderful things, and I can go all over the world, but like, it's always got a special place in my heart. Beautiful. What's the one thing you would love to master? Guitar, Philip. I need guitar. Oh, right. so we covered that. I wasn't going to seed you on that. I knew that, but okay. Who's your yeah. hero? Myself. In a non-egotistical way, myself. I'm very proud of what I've done. My mother as well. I'm here because of her and she's given me a lot of my values, but myself. What is the one thing you would tell your 20-year-old self? Invest in Bitcoin. Other than that, it would be... <laughs> right. um, and sell before 2021. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, genuinely, it, it would actually be 
because I wanted to be in academia. I did my master's. I, I failed to get funding for my PhD. I was going to be a, a lecturer and all that kind of thing. But so at that time, I was going to my master's, but it would actually be to stay the course I'm taking because the course I was on was going to take me to learn selling. And the advice would be sales is the greatest skill. And you can reframe it as communication with people. Like it is the skill. So embrace it. Don't look at it as a dirty word. And finally, do you have a personal mantra or a manifesto that you try to live your life by? Yeah, I think it was Maya Angelou and I've always loved it. And it's, if you don't like it, change it. And if you can't change it, change your attitude. And it serves its purpose in every part of your life. And it's a wonderful way to let go of stuff you can't change. And I'm, I'm a big fan of not complaining, you know, don't moan, fix it or exist elsewhere in your mind. Yeah. I love that quote. I think it matters to me a lot. Awesome. So if people want to get in touch with you, Richard, where is the best place for them to do that? So there's this platform, right, called LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they can find How me How did I know that was coming? I know. So yeah, they can find me. So you can find my website, therichardmore.com, M-O-O-R-E, or yeah, on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn's weird. It's linkedin.com slash in slash Richard James Moore, all one word. So uh, I'm happy to uh, speak to your audience a bit more. And thank you so much. It's been really good fun. So Richard Moore, startup consultant, investor, sales coach, LinkedIn extraordinaire expert. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great talking to you. You're absolutely welcome. See you again soon. If you'd like to help support the Brand Design Masters podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you want to stay up to date on all our content, products, courses, and live video shows, head over to philipvandusen.com slash muse and sign up for the Brand Muse newsletter. That's where we share all the latest news, resources, articles, books, and videos that we recommend to help you build and improve your creative practice, personal brand, and business. That's philipvandusen.com slash muse, M-U-S-E. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now.